Good morning. How's everybody doing? Good. I would much rather have a guitar in front of me, but not the case today. Welcome, everybody. Welcome online campus. My name is Charlie Hines. I'm the worship pastor here at Community. And um, I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to teach this morning to you guys. But I didn't want to uh, kind of skip over the significance of 9-11. So I thought I would share a brief story. I love telling stories. But it kind of ties into what we're talking about today. It was just before 8 o'clock at Luxottica's home office down on Governor's Hill, where I worked as a merchandise manager. Walked in, and if you know anything about Fortune 500 companies, you know we love conference calls and conference meetings and all kinds of stuff. So we get into our meeting, and my boss walks in, and she goes, a plane just hit the World Trade Center Tower. And we sat down, and we're like, and being the military brat that I am, I'm like, wait a minute, that's like restricted airspace. So how big of a plane hit the World Trade Center? She goes, I don't know. So let's get started. So we got started in our meeting, and then we felt the floor kind of moving. And it was people running up and down the hallways, running. We were on the fourth floor downtown Cincinnati, and um, actually downtown Mason. And it was just one of those things where it caused you to like get up, open the door, and, and see what's going on. We had people in the air. Um, we, we traveled visiting stores for a living. So we had families of, of, of uh, workers calling in saying, where is my husband or where is my, my wife? Where are they landing? We hear that the airports are going to close. We were, our corporation travel department was busy trying to book rental cars because we knew once they landed, there was no way flying them home. So we did all of that stuff. And then down the hall, they had a big TV, and that's when I saw the towers. So, of course, I go back to my phone and my desk, and I, I call my mother-in-law, and I said, Belle, wake up. We're under attack. Turn on the TV. And then I, you know, I call my dad, and he, I, th- I think he's in Texas at the time. I said, Dad. And he does what my dad always did. He's like, you okay, son? I said, yeah. He goes, okay, got to go. And normally it's, you okay, son? Okay, good. Here's your mother. You know, and he hands my mom the phone. So it was that. So then I decide, out, well, okay, I'll call I'll call my sister, who's a couple hours south of D.C., where the Pentagon was hit. They live near a Navy base. My brother-in-law is a Navy officer, so I call him, and uh, my sister answers, uh, answers the phone frantically, and she says, I-, I can't talk. And it turns out he had been given 30 minutes to get his go bag and get to the ship. They were leaving Newport News, and they didn't know if and when they were coming back. So that was all happening while I was still at work. So then I'm like, okay, finally the home office realizes maybe we should shut it down and let people go home. So at that point, I gathered my thoughts. I called my, my daughter's daycare. They said, we're on lockdown. Nobody in or out. You can't come and get your kid. So just go home. We'll let you know when it's safe. And then I called my wife's school. My wife was two days, she was two days before, it was two days before delivering my youngest daughter, Abby. So my wife is out to here. I call her. She's like, yeah, we're on lockdown too. Just go home. So I'm going home from the corporate office, and I pass this little church. Well, it's not every church. is a house on 741. Many of you guys have probably passed this on the way to Mason. But every day to work, this guy would be out there hoisting the, the American flag to the top of the staff. And coming home today, that day, he was lowering it to half-mast. Um, and so I just was like captivated by this, and, and I honked and I waved, and he saw me, he stood at attention and snapped off a salute, and I cried the rest of the way home. I just, 
It was like everything that I was dealing with for 9-11 just came out in that one moment with that flagpole. And uh, it, was, it was a hard day, but nothing, nothing compared to what we were really beginning to process. We didn't even know what we were going to be processing. And so I share that story because it takes me to where I was volunteering as a worship pastor at the Franklin Vineyard just north on 75. And I, I called my pastor Chuck, and he's like, I feel like the church needs to be open, Charlie. He lived a couple blocks away, so he goes and drives down there and props open the church doors and puts two orange cones in there. And if you've ever seen the movie Field of Dreams, it was just like that. Just one by one, cars pulled off the road, pulled in the parking lot. People got out, they went into church, and they just sat down in a room very much like this, and they just sat. There were no signs, there was no worship, there was no band, no preaching. They just knew that somewhere in their hardwiring was a place where they needed to be with community. They needed to be with, in the presence of God. 9-11 um, was a dark day, and we, uh, we knew what we needed to do. We needed to be in the presence of God. We needed a safe place to weep to mourn, to be angry, to pray, to prepare to fight, and to ask questions why or how this could even happen. We wanted community, and we wanted family. We knew we needed God to deal with us emotionally, and that's because I believe it's because we're hardwired to need this. Isn't it amazing how fast our life goes by, some shorter than others, but this week, my daughter, who was born two days after 9-11, is celebrating her 21st birthday. She's here today, Abby. Happy birthday. But it's weird to think, like, it's been 21 years, and here we are standing there at the same time we were 21 years ago. Now, something else that happened to this church was COVID. Um, not just to the church, but to kind of our whole country. We lost a lot of lives, but it changed probably more so the way we do church than even 9-11. I used to say, you know, if you Listen to the worship sets after Katrina hit New Orleans. They weren't singing, you know, you know let the rivers rise. <laughs> they weren't singing that. That's just not what they were doing. But after, you know, after 9-11, we weren't singing let your fire fall either. You know, it's just something about those pockets of community where we were hardwired to meet God, to meet with people in community. But all of a sudden, it's just we're worshiping a different way or we're perceiving worship or hearing worship for the first time differently. So COVID turned this church into a recording studio, a TV studio, an editing suite. The band would come up here, uh, and this was, at first, it was just like me and Jackie in the living room, like trying to play on a piano and make worship for you guys. Then it was in my basement. You know, I would do nightly worship sets. I don't know if you guys saw any of those, but just because the world or whatever you think about COVID, the disease or the government took away the congregation, took away the stage, took away the, the players, took away our community, took away our church buildings. It never ever once gave any of us the right to just pause our Christian faith. So as a worship pastor, I'm like, well, what do you do when you can't come and lead worship with a full band? Well, then you just go and you lead it in your basement and you live stream it. And then we became lighting experts and video experts and editing suite experts. And Scott would come in and we'd film the message on an empty stage. And then we'd try to piece it all together because we didn't have an excuse to not deliver the gospel. If anything, we needed to deliver it in a more excellent way. 
because people were hurting, people were scared, people were suffering. So I did 88 days of worship in my basement, and I think it's just because I was hardwired that way to do it. And even the people that were watching online started to become friends online on social media. So the people that would watch the worship service would then go and hang out and connect with each other. And it was a really beautiful thing. It was almost like, kind of like planning a church, I guess, is you get to watch people connect and grow together. But I'd, I'd like to think that we're all kind of, that hardwiring is in us somehow. And that um, I truly believe as we create, um, even if it's worship sets or our new message each week that we're being drawn closer to the creator. For some of you, it might be writing and a book. For some of you, it might be painting. For some, it's playing music or whatever. For some, you guys aren't gifted that way. You might be, uh, you know, good at starting a business or growing a business or adding a franchise. All that stuff is, I think it draws us closer to our creator because we are creating And I I really think that's important to understand that component or that aspect of God. Even something as as innocent or as intentional as starting a family, it just, there's power in that. I think it draws us closer to God because we're creating. And I think that puts us in that camp where he's like, hey, I'm good at this. You know, and you you, you might experience experience me differently if that's the way you do it. I remember being um, right here behind me when we were getting ready for in-person services coming back from COVID. It was the first time the tech, the band, everybody was here. And man, the stage smelled like Lysol. It was so bad. It was nasty. I mean, if you grabbed a mic and went to inhale, it cured everything that you had been dealing with. You could not get away from it. But I remember we started in. It was the first time the band was playing. And then all of a sudden, Scott Swobar, our pastor, comes through the back door and just stands kind of right in front of where those cameras were. And he just stops, and he turns, and he looks. And it was like magic. There was just something about wanting to be together. There was something about, after months, hearing a live band play worship and sing at the same time, all being in the same room together. It was, it was really something. And there was an excitement about the weekend, even though... We had absolutely no idea if any of you guys were going to show up because half of us were thinking we can't come to church without a mask. Half of us were coming, I'm not going with a mask on. And so we were just like, hey, we're just going to do what we do, and whoever shows up, shows up. And it turned out great. Kristen, who was in her 9 o'clock, she's one of our string players. She's a cellist. She said the first time that she got to play with an orchestra, she just cried. She just sat there on her cello and she cried. And I, that really struck me because having done 88 days of worship in your basement, it's just like, it's prison. I mean, it doesn't matter how cool your man cave is. It's hard to be somewhere by yourself for 88 days. And my wife, who was off camera, she was like my producer and stuff. She was so mad at me. Oh, man. But yeah, that was our first time getting ready to come back for, uh, for in-person worship. I think we need to be corporately in worship. It's, uh, it's, a very powerful, it's a very powerful experience, and I, I love it because it changes. It's never the same uh, one week or the next. It's never the same, but we, we take it for granted until it's gone, don't we? Like, we, you know, we think about the last time we saw somebody before they moved away. It's like, man, 
if I had known they were going to transfer with their job, I would have cooked them dinner or something or, you know, whatever. I just think until it's gone, we don't really appreciate it. But, but we all have this thing, you know. I don't know what is it for you. How many of you guys feel like reading the Word is my thing? Hands? Okay. Y'all are all heathens. Okay. How many of you guys think worship is your thing? It, it's definitely my thing. You connect. How many of you guys would, would like to sit in church and be preached to? That's your thing. Like, I can, I can hear it orally, you know? Okay, so we all have that thing, but one could say that I, I, I don't volunteer. I, I'm too busy. Or someone else could say, I'm not really a reader. That's not my thing. Um, someone else could say, music's not my thing. But I believe all of those components make up a healthy relationship with Christ, almost like a well-balanced diet, right? What if I only listen to music? Would I, if I only listen to music, how would I know, if I never read the scripture, how would I know if a song flew in the face of that scripture? Or if I said, you know, I get ready to do that song, I'm like, wait a minute, that is not at all what God meant by that. Or that is not at all what God is trying to communicate in that. I would never know because God will never be in conflict with himself. So his word is, should line up with his worship, should line up with what he's communicating to you in prayer or what he's communicating to you through his word being delivered from the stage. He shouldn't be in conflict with himself. So if you only do one aspect, it's, it can sometimes be easy to feel like I'm only getting part of this message. Um, if, uh, if I listen to music only, I'd never know when uh, a song violated scripture. If I never served anyone because I could meet the need, then I would, I'd kind of become selfish and kind of recluse and kind of focused on my own world. I'd never really realize that there's people out, that, out there that are in, in real need. Um, let's see. There are, there are people probably in this room that... Uh, how many of you guys feel like you're too old to lead worship? Me. All right, I'll put my hand up. Um, I definitely know I'm too old to mow somebody's lawn or paint a house. Anybody? Okay. How many of you guys in this room have been married over a quarter of a century? See? That is impressive. So how many young couples here thinking about getting married, wanting to get married, wanting to spend your life with somebody, would love to sit down with one of these couples and go, dude, how did you make it this long? That is a ministry. You don't, you don't have to be on stage. You don't have to be doing the outreach. You don't have to, you know, be in the public eye, but sometimes what you know and just your life experience is it creates an opportunity for you to serve, to bring, to bring the kingdom in. I think that's, that's really I think that's really important. And uh, so today, I want to, as your worship pastor, I want to, of course, talk about worship. But first, I want to ask you to do something with me. It won't take very long. I only have 87 pages of doctrine. I'm just kidding. I don't. I'm already halfway through. Okay. But would you read the Lord's Prayer with me? Matthew 6, 9. I'll let you guys start. Our Father.
Man, you guys are good. You'd fit in with my 24 years of being Catholic perfectly. Yeah, you know how to do this. Well, I wanted to, today, I want to explore worship from the perspective of prayer. But I wanted to first read this prayer. And then I want to break down this prayer a little differently for you. Um, if we could show the hexagon, the Lord's Prayer can be broken down into six sections. One is his character, his kingdom, his provision, his forgiveness, his guidance, and his deliverance. And uh, if you want to draw that or stick your phone up, take a picture of it, that's cool. Pillar one is the character of God. The first is the heavenly Father, our Father who art in heaven. Holy is your name. This speaks to the character of God, to, the, to his place in this world, the next world, our current lives. It speaks to his sovereignty, his holiness, and how big and encompassing he is. Pillar two is the kingdom of God. That next pillar says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is the kingdom we talk about. This is what I like to call kingdom philosophy. I don't know if I've mentioned that maybe in my little story time with Charlie during worship. But I believe that kingdom, kingdom philosophy, it's the here and the not yet. It's the fact that you can bring the kingdom of God down for a glimpse for someone, but it's, you know it's not really here. It's just a moment where we can be a blessing to somebody and they're like, oh, wow. Or somebody is praying somewhere, man, God, just show me that you're real. And then one of you does something and answers that prayer and all of a sudden, for a moment, that kingdom philosophy happens. The kingdom comes down. It's not here permanently. It's not yet, but we just got a taste of it. So I really appreciate looking at uh, the Lord's Prayer in these different pillars. Um, pillar three is God's provision. Give us this day our daily bread. This is God's provision to us. He provides our needs, maybe not our wants, but, uh, but our needs. Now, I would love a swimming pool in my backyard, but God hasn't provided or made provisions for that yet. What he has done, though, is he's given me some great friends on the worship team that have some really sweet pools. <laughs> so, but seriously, I don't want to make, I don't want to make light on, make light of it, but God's provision is not always measured by what we own or what we have. It's, I would like to think it's what we are gifted in that allows us to bring that kingdom philosophy into someone's life in need for a moment. So I joke about the pool. Sorry, Jesse. I just do. But, it, but I believe it's, what, it's why God has gifted me as a songwriter. I'm involved with um, what's called the Cincinnati Veterans Affairs Mil uh, MST. It's their Military Sexual Trauma Division. And it is people that have struggled their whole lives because of abuse or violations that were... Um, put upon them as they were in the military. And they've held on to these hurts and these wounds for 50, 60, 70 years. And they partner up with a songwriter. In this case, the songwriter for two of the veterans was me. And they went through this gut-wrenching thing of writing their story out and telling their story. And then it's my job to talk to them on the phone and say, hey, what do you, what do you want this song to sound like? And then I take their story and I put it out there as a song. I, I, it's easy to say, oh, God's blessed me as a songwriter. You know, I have a recording studio. But it's also very easy to say, 
God has gifted me as a songwriter so that I can bring closure to someone's pain 40, 50 years after the Vietnam War or whatever. And so um, that's starting up again. So if you want to donate, donate to that. It's your Cincinnati VA. It's really cool. But, it, you know, to bring closure or to bring healing, I would like to think that that's the bigger reason why I am a songwriter or why I feel I've been gifted to write a song. Pillar four is God's forgiveness. The fourth pillar says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. It's God's forgiveness. This isn't, God, can you please wipe out my Amex bill because I overspent this month. It is talking about a heart of unforgiveness. It's the condition of our heart. And it's, um, it's what, I, what I love about this and talking about forgiveness in this way is that by forgiving somebody that has transgressed us or that has wronged us, we're now giving God permission to forgive us for our transgressions against him. Does that make sense? Everybody get that? Okay, good. So to break it down, basically, if we forgive, it releases us. If we don't, we serve a sentence for a crime committed against us. That just makes no sense at all. And so, uh, you know, I want to put that into practice. If, if, if we're dealing, if I'm dealing with somebody because they put a Trump or a Biden sign out in their front yard, man, I've got bigger problems. If, uh, if you can't forgive Scott Swellbar for his Steeler jokes or his digs at the Bengals, you've got a bigger problem, okay? But it goes much deeper than that. And I'm trying to show, you know, for me, I'm trying to show more grace behind people in a roundabout. It's not working. When you stop at a roundabout, I will probably just get out of my car and start screaming. And if I'm in the roundabout and you continue to stop, I've got a new one. I'm just going to keep driving around until you realize I've seen that car before. I'm going to go around and around in the roundabout. So, but seriously, can you forgive that person who molested you as a child? Can you forgive the spouse or the parent that walked out on you? Can you forgive the addict in your life that couldn't get a hold of that addiction and it cost them their life and they left you too soon? Can you forgive the person who's constantly angry because they have unresolved issues in your life or they have chronic pain and it's rewiring their brain and they're just mad all the time? Forgiveness releases you. It keeps you from serving the, t- the crime that was committed against you. So speaking about chronic pain, this week, last week, I guess, I had chronic neck pain. I had a pinched nerve. And if you've ever had that, it goes down your shoulder. And, uh, and I was here trying to do worship rehearsal, and I realized that I looked like a drunk bar singer. I'm hunched over like, Waymaker, miracle worker. Trying to look at this guy. I couldn't lift my head. I couldn't shave. So believe it or not, as bad a shape as I was in, I thought, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do everything I can. So um, I couldn't lift my head to look up. I couldn't lift my arm to reach my guitar. I couldn't reach my head up to, to sing in a, micro, in a microphone. So I thought, all right, everybody's praying for me, but I can't just leave it there. I got to do, do my thing. So I use ice. I use um, heat. I use the stretching exercises, all the stuff. And then finally, I said, wait, we have a TENS unit. And does anybody not know what a TENS unit is? Okay, anybody stuck their tongue in a 9-volt battery? That's a TENS unit, except it's connected to all parts of you. And so I 
grab the tens unit, my wife wires me up, and I, I'm like, this is great. And so I'm like, it's not enough. So I turn it up, turn it up, turn it up, and I get to 10, and I'm, I, this is, I'm a man. I can handle a, a tens unit on 10. I'm the man. So then after about four sessions of this, it dies, and I realized the battery's dead. So as messed up as I was, I thought, man, I skipped church today. I asked Jackie to lead because I can't lead, but I need some nine volts. So I did a curbside pickup at the Home Depot up here for nine volt batteries. Can you believe that? And the whole time I'm thinking, one of you guys is going to come out and you're going to be like, where were you this weekend? We missed you. <laughs> and so I thought, all right, let's, let's look at it realistically. I can't lift my head up. My hand is on the steering wheel. I haven't shaved in a week. No one's going to recognize me. <laughs> so I got my batteries. I come home, and uh, I'm sitting at the kitchen table, one daughter on this side, one daughter on this side, my wife at the table. I'm like, I got this. I'm a man. I was on 10. So I throw in the quote-unquote new 9-volt batteries, flipped it on 10, and almost peed my pants. <laughs> I was sitting there at the table just shaking like, help me. One daughter to my right burst out into tears. My other daughter to the left burst out in laughter and then into tears. And my wife was just staring at me going, you are such a baby. <laughs> but... I, I thought, like, this, and then I laughed about it because I scared my family, but then I laughed. I just electrocuted myself. So as, as bad as I was, it was interesting because even in that, God was like, this is your spiritual life, Charlie. You just kind of go through life with this slow death, thinking, I'm the man. I'm on 10, you know? And you don't realize that you're, there's nothing that's jolting your spiritual life into that recognition. So all of a sudden, you're like, wow, okay, I need to, you know, maybe it's a bad doctor's report, and you're like, I need to stop drinking, or I need to stop smoking, or I need to go on a diet, you know, whatever that is, that's that new nine volt in your life that kicks in and reconnects you with, with that walk. Uh, pillar number five, I'll skip a couple things here. Uh, I, I, like the, I like the ocean. I don't like to swim in it. I like the plane. I, like to, I don't like to fly, but I don't mind flights. But I don't like to feel invisible to God. Does that make sense? I don't like to feel small. And I don't mean small like my ego needs to be checked or stroked. It's just I just want God to know, you can't find me, right? Because I'm like one-third the size of a shark. Um, so I just think that when I get on a plane, I put my hand on a plane, I say, God bless this vehicle, and then I get on the plane, and I, I get my belt extender, so I'm doubly safe. And then I say, okay, God, just hope this pilot doesn't want to die today any more than I do today. So that's kind of how I just deal with it. But pillar five of the Lord's Prayer is God's guidance. Lead us not into temptation. This is God's guidance and protection. It's the scripture that's from one of my favorite books. I'm kind of a Give me my marching orders, leave me alone, and let me go do what God told me to do. So James is one of my favorite books in the Bible. James 1, 13, 15 says, For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempteth no man. But each man is tempted when he's drawn away by his own lust, enticed. Then lust, when it's conceived, bears sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, brings death. Romans, 20, or Romans 6, 23 says, 
the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. So let me break that down for you real quick. You've got to earn that stuff. Like, can you imagine getting paid for a week's worth of work and your boss says, okay, go die now. Some of you probably think you're in that job. All right, you don't have to say it out loud if you are. But then we look at the, we look at the, the sixth pillar of the Lord's Prayer, and it's, but deliver us from evil. Now, before we jump into that, uh, the wage of sin is death, but the gift of God is what? Eternal life. Okay, so if you've got to earn the wage, the one thing you can't do with the gift is earn it, deserve it, or pay for it. You just have to accept it. And I know some of us have a hard time accepting that with our self-esteem, or we feel like it's a handout or whatever, but there's just nothing you can do with a gift except accept it. So that kind of pulls us into uh, pillar six, deliver us from all evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, now and forever. Amen. We're asking God to deliver us from evil. So, like with that TENS unit, I did my part. I did the ice, the stretching. We're asking you, God's asking us, do your part. We're asking God, when we've done our best, will you carry us the rest of the way? Um, Or at least, maybe for us, we have to put up some boundaries, or we have to put up some guardrails. If you struggle... With alcohol, you probably should not do your Zoom meetings in a bar. I'm just saying, might be a good idea. If you're like me and you like to collect things, you don't go to Guitar Center with your wallet and your credit cards. You leave them in the, locked in the glove box of your car or home. But if you struggle with money or you, you struggle with sex addiction or porn or anything like that, don't put yourself in a position where you feel like, man, I could fall really easily here, you know, because it, all it does is just that little bit of separation from God, and then it's that dying nine-volt battery where we feel like, we got this. Nothing's really jolting me back into reality. So to close, I want to talk about songs as an extension of our prayer. When we sing Waymaker, we did Waymaker, Reckless Love, and Graves in the Gardens. When we sing Waymaker, we sing, you are way maker, miracle worker, light in the darkness. We're singing about that first part of the Lord's Prayer. We're singing about God's character. I even wrote a whole song about this called Never Changing God. When we sing Reckless Love, when we sing it, we sing, I couldn't earn it. I don't deserve it. It's tapping into that part of the Lord's Prayer where we're dealing with simply accepting what he has for us, accepting that gift of eternal life and not trying to pay for our own sins. When we sing about graves in the gardens, we sing, I've searched the world, but it couldn't fill me. Man's empty praise and treasures that fade are not enough. Then you came along, you put me back together, and every desire is now satisfied in your love. Singing out a prayer so much of what we do in worship is just singing a version of the Lord's Prayer. It's singing a pillar that he's taught us to, like, this is how you should pray, guys. Okay, well then, why would it be, why would God be in conflict with himself if this is how he wanted us to worship as well? But I don't believe that God's plan for us is multiple choice or a buffet. I don't, uh, we've talked about the word amen and how it means so be it, like make it so if you're Star Wars or a Star, Star Trek geek. Um, But in some countries, worship can't be played. It can't be sung. 
in some countries, Bibles are banned, burned, if not if found, and those with them are executed. In some countries, just gathering for church can be taking your life in your own hands. We're fortunate in this company. When we invite somebody to church, we don't have to fear that we're going to be reported to the government. Uh, we're fortunate that we can do all of this stuff out loud and in person. So take a look at this video. This is a group of Chinese Christians getting their first Bible. <laughs> That is really hard to watch when you know you probably have dusty ones sitting down under your nightstand or in a closet somewhere, and these people are just hanging on for any version of it. My dad, uh, after having a heart attack, he was on his way home from the hospital, and my mom played him my, song, my CD, Never Changing God. And when, he, when she pulled in the driveway and shut the car off, my dad was, was in tears, and he said, it just sounds like he's praying through his songs. And my dad died almost the next week after that. So I ask you, why do we read his word? It's because he told us to. His word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto my path. That's Psalms 119 and 105. Why do we pray? Because he told us to and even told us how. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, Pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God for you and Jesus Christ. So why do we worship? Because... He told us to. And it goes on in Psalms, says, shout, to the, shout for, for joy to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Make his praises glorious. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies cringe before you. The earth bows down to you. They sing praises to you. They sing the praises of your name. Why do we serve? Because... He told us to. Hebrews 13, keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. So by doing so, some people have shown, my, my translation is, you've entertained angels unaware. So I think it's, it's important to realize that sometimes the book is better than the movie. Sometimes the movie is better than the book. Maybe it's, the story is amazing, but to see it in a movie, it's contracted differently. Maybe it's a scene and all of a sudden the music, the soundtrack behind it brings you to tears, you know. Um, and you might know the scene. I mean, I saw a Titanic. I knew the ship was going to sink, but you know, that's just it. It's just, it's sometimes it hits you differently. I think as your worship pastor today, I hope that I've opened up a value for worship that maybe wasn't there before. I would like to think that corporate worship is life-changing. It should be dark enough in this room for you guys to put your hands up and not be worried about who's going to be looking at you. I think it should be loud enough in this room that you're not embarrassed to lift your voice, even if you think you can't sing.
But when the music dies down, it should be soft enough that you're mesmerized by the voice of the body of Christ all singing together at the same time. So as we close, would you pray the Lord's prayer with me again?